Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace you, you First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. The biggest fear that we may not even say out loud these days is the fear of harm in any way to our friends, family, ourselves, especially our children, right? And it's even more so when it comes to any kind of sexual harm. So today we are like super, super duper thrilled to have Evan DeMarco with us and I'll I'll let you introduce him. Evan is an amazing (laughs) human. Uh, He's a sports medicine and nutrition expert, a published author, a public speaker, and a frequent guest on television, radio, and digital platforms. He actually has his own and uh, co-hosts two amazing podcasts, Single Parents Daily and The Complete Human. And he's a successful serial entrepreneur whose interest in diet, health, and supplements began as an athlete and consumer and led him to create a supplement called Alpha Omega. So Evan is, who better to ask about this? He's recently just created this cute little book um, called Mia, the Go Away Monster Spray, because he's on a crusade oh, look, there to it is. end sex trafficking. But more than that, I think he's just trying to bring awareness to this um, crazy stuff that's happening on in the world. And and uh, despite his own challenges, he was actually planning on running 100 miles, but that didn't happen and raise money that way. So <laughs> instead, he's like, how can I you know, create something that's going to raise money to this huge cause? So he wrote this cute book with his daughter. So tell us some more about the book. Yeah. Well, welcome. first of all, first thank of you all, guys yeah, for welcome. Yeah, so so Mia in the Go Away Monster Spray was really a book that I wrote for my daughter and I. And when she was about four years old, four and a half, I think is is how she likes to tell it, of course, because she's into the fractions of age. Uh, she had the monster <laughs> in the closet. And any parent who's ever gone through this with a kid knows that logic cannot solve the monster in the closet problem. You open up the door and you show them that there's nothing in there. But the second the door closes, the monster comes back. So interestingly enough, I'd had a friend who had just told me that like her daughter post-divorce was having some trouble sleeping. And so all she did was put like lavender oil in a diffuser. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool idea. So I took, I took my daughter downstairs and I took a bottle of lavender oil and we mixed that into another clear bottle with some surfactants and some food coloring. And then all I did was cut off a, like a tiny little piece of her hair and put it in there <laughs> in that bottle. And I told her that was the magic uh, for the go away monster spray. So we created this, you know, went and sprayed it in a room and it worked. Um, and, and the best part was, is that, you know, as a single parent, I told her something that she could take back and forth, you know, to, to both of her homes so that, you know, the monster would never come back regardless of where she was. And it was just a cute little thing that, you know, we'd experienced. And so I wrote a book on it. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I've written a lot of books in my life. And this was my first, you know, kind of foray into children's, you know, writing. And it's really difficult. Uh, first of all, let, let me say that writing a kid's book is not easy. You think it is. and You're like, wow, how do you create how do you craft language that tells the story, but do it in a way that, you know, is, is not so 
verbose, I think, as we like to try to be as adults, and especially <laughs> as like a podcast host, where you're constantly striving for like the next, you know, the, the next big word or something like that. You're like, how do I <laughs> tell this story? So I did it, and it was just supposed to be something I was going to self-publish and give to my daughter as a gift. Um, as you pointed out, I was supposed to run 100 miles right as kind of COVID was hitting. So I, I'd torn my uh, um, calf muscle training for this 100 miles, and then COVID hit. And so this whole idea of running 100 miles to support Operation Underground Railroad didn't really come to fruition. But I was so impressed with what this nonprofit does. And their whole goal is to end sex trafficking, period. And what they do is they recruit, you know, ex-special forces, CIA, you know, uh, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, to go into these areas and physically remove these kids from sex trafficking, but then also work with local governments to prosecute the offenders to make sure that these rings actually close down. And, you know, the more that I thought about it, and, you know, as you said, Mary, it's like, it's really hard to perceive anything happening to our kids, right? Like in, in the world of COVID, we're always so worried about our health or we're always so worried about our finances. But when we take a step back and when, and when I took a step back, I recognized that I couldn't even begin to imagine something like this happening to my daughter. And as a parent, I felt like it was my responsibility to try to bring an end to this in any way that I could. So Mia in the Go Away Monster Spray was a story that was designed to help keep my daughter's fictitious monsters away. And I thought, well, maybe I can use it to raise money to help keep the real monsters away. So I set an insanely lofty goal of $2 million uh, for the, uh, you know, uh, to, to donate to Operation Underground Railroad. Um, and I committed to donating a portion of, my, of that myself should the book sales fall short. But... This is the real scary part, right? And in the beginning, I'm like, $2 million, that's a lofty goal. Like, that's great. We're going to do a lot. But when you recognize what it costs to actually extract one of these kids from a sex trafficking ring and then begin the rehabilitation process, that $2 million doesn't go a long way. And mm -hmm. so I look at this as the ultimate war of attrition. Buy the book, support the cause, but recognize that we – in my personal opinion, do not deserve to inherit this earth if we can't solve this one fundamental problem. You know, this is global warming, Black Lives Matter, all of that aside, this is the most fundamental and basic problem that we have to solve. If we cannot protect our kids from such a travesty, I don't necessarily think that we deserve to be here on this planet. Mm. That's powerful, Anya. True. So crazy. Wow. Well, <laughs> Where do we go from here? <laughs> well, you know, actually, I'm going I'm to add in. I'm going to add in. Um, I, I don't know speechless. if I've told you. Well, no, I'm not speechless. It's just like there's so many. It's multifaceted because, you know, there's sex trafficking, but there's a lot of cultures. And I'll have to say, my grandmother at the age of 13 was pulled away from her family to become a concubine. And so that's just like a nice way of saying a sex servant, like horrible. That's mm -hmm. monstrosity. And that's a cultural norm. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, and there's still cultures that are doing stuff like this, right? You know, it was funny. I was reading, you know, I love to read. And I, I remember reading James Clavell's Shogun, which was kind of this quintessential look into the, you know, the, the feudal Japanese culture. And, you know, he did a lot of amazing research on that on that culture. And there were elements of this book that were very common where, like, you know, these these samurai or these lords would have, you know, young concubines, both men and women, you know, boys that were like five and six and talking about, you know, how 
you know, you wanted to make sure you get them before puberty type of thing. And I remember reading that book and he did such a great job of interweaving that element of that culture into the story. So you didn't think it was weird. But then the second you close the book, you're like, holy cow, that's not right. And, and so, yes, there's a huge undercurrent of, of this stuff, you know, and when we start to look at like video gaming systems and how they're luring kids into sex trafficking through video games and through apps and technology, that's the travesty. But as you pointed out, there are still some cultural norms that need to be shifted where, you know, sexual relationships is a whole different podcast or series of podcasts or maybe, you mm -hmm. know, something else entirely. But, you know, I, I think that there needs to be some type of agreed upon standard on what's an appropriate age to begin a sexual relationship. And it sure as hell isn't, you know, when these kids are, are being lured into these type of, uh, you know, rings that, that, that they are being lured into. Or. Ugh, you know, when you talk about this, it just makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> I have to admit it. <laughs> Oh, it's, 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 it's horrible. Right. And, and I, I think I remember, uh, Liam, Liam Neeson's taken. Did you guys see that movie? Yes. Oh my goodness. Very powerful. Yeah. yeah and, and so his daughter gets, you know, abducted in Europe and, and basically sold into a sex trafficking ring. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking like, good for him, you know, and then all of a sudden I had a daughter and I realized like, if anything, if anyone ever did anything to my daughter, I would make Liam Neeson seem like a kitten. I would go on a, you know, you go on this spree where you're like, there's nothing that's going to stop me from protecting my kid. And we have to kind of take that passion and apply that to a much larger scale, right? We have to start to put a face to the problem of sex trafficking. And it's really easy for us, especially here in America, especially in the age of COVID, in the economic crisis that we're facing, to kind of put our head in the sand and say, well, that's somebody else's problem, right? It's in a foreign country or it doesn't really affect me, but it does. And the reality is, is this is a big business, sex trafficking, uh, is a billion dollar industry. And so we have to make it so that this is no longer profitable. But what we're finding is as more and more of these rings are being you know, broken up, like the Jeffrey Epstein thing, and what we're seeing is, is the Homeland Security is really starting to break up some of these domestic rings, uh, more and more of these sex traffickers are becoming desperate. So they're starting to move into more what we would consider safe areas. And you're starting to hear these things of, you know, like women in you know, there was one that was close to, close to me here in Sacramento where a woman was at a gas station waiting in line at the bathroom and someone, a, another woman was there speaking Spanish. And it just so happened that this woman spoke Spanish and she heard the woman talking to a guy out in the parking lot saying, yes, this would be a good one that we should grab. And so she ran out, jumped in her car and sped away as this guy comes running around the building and, try, you know, running after her. So, I mean, it, it's one of these things we have to be aware. And awareness comes not just in protecting our kids, but protecting ourselves. Because, you know, there isn't sex trafficking for kids is real, but also sex trafficking for teenagers or even young adults is a very real problem. I'm actually going to take it a step back because some people are so disconnected from what even is a human sex trafficking ring. What is it? Like define what is what happens? Good point. It, you know, that is a great point. And it, it could be any number of things. Right. Um, what we're seeing with a lot of young girls is people will lure them in through social media into these you know, compromising situations by saying, you're very pretty. You could be a model. Let me help you with that. Playing off people's, you know, innate vanity. Um, a lot of it is we're just going to kidnap you and we're going to send you to a foreign country where you sit in a room or you have your own tiny room and guys just, you know, pay their money, come in, do their thing and leave. And, and it's just a revolving door of guys. Um, most of the time they get these kids strung out on drugs. And, and so they're completely mm -hmm. desensitized to the environment. And 
the life expectancy of, of a kid in a sex trafficking ring is very, very low. It's, you know, the, the, the death rate because of the drug addiction and because of the lifestyle, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, years, it's not decades. And so, um, these kids, these people in these rings just become commodities. And, you know, that's, I think that's the problem, right? That is the greatest travesty in all of this is that we start to look at another human being as a commodity and especially a kid. It doesn't matter that mm -hmm. I mean, every, every person as a commodity is a bad problem, but especially a kid. And, and that's, that's the issue, right? It's horrendous. The closest thing that I encountered growing up was my sister before she hit puberty around 12 was uh, sexually abused by a neighbor. We used to deliver the newspapers and he lured her in slowly, progressively to, you know, the, the, the full deal. Um, they would go in the basement and he would have her watch porn. And then it just kind of uh, continued on from there. And that uh, just the, effect that it had on her effect that it had on all of us and then it just kind of you know uh, domino effects on everybody else and and so i'm passionate about ending this too but it, it people are so disconnected they often don't realize that it can happen to them and their own kids and this is happening even where i'm living uh, in in whippy apparently it's the most uh in oshawa uh, ontario it's really a common thing to happen and so living in that area, I'm always super vigilant with my seven-year-old son who goes up to anybody and COVID makes it easier in a way, but talks to everybody and says, hi, I'm Griffin. And this is my mom. She's 43. She just had a birthday and just like tells, you know, gives all the right. details about our yeah. lives and, and even how social media people can kind of, you know, see where you live and, and, and uh, kind of track you from, you know, outside of, uh, like, you know, just in, see a window into your life. It's, it's kind of a little bit, uh, I guess, social media plays a role in, in some way. And it's, social media has absolutely escalated the problem. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it is the ultimate tool for sex trafficking. It's the ultimate tool for anything like that. Right. And, and when we look back, sexual abuse is, is very common within people that, you know, in fact, if you look mm -hmm. at the stats, most of the the kids, mostly anybody who's sexually abused, it's by a relative, a neighbor, a close friend, something along those lines. Now, one thing that I learned, and, and I think that this is probably one of the greatest things that we can teach our kids, is something very simple. There are no secrets. There are only surprises. And so we teach our kids that there's no such thing as a secret. Now, you can have a surprise, which means I'm going to hold on to some information because it's like a birthday surprise. But what we want to do is start teaching our kids that there's no such thing as a secret and secrets are really bad because most of these people who are in, you know, who are guilty of abuse will do that. You can't tell your mom, this is a secret. You can't tell your dad right. if you tell someone. So just by reframing in our kids' minds that secrets are a bad thing, you know, we, we pave the way for kids to have that relationship and that dialogue with their parents where, you know, neighbor Bob said, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't tell you this because it's a secret. Um, and, and so, you know, the, there's some real simple tips and tricks that we've learned to just protect ourselves. Um, I think one of the most important ones, and, and I can't, uh, I can't, you know, stress this enough is don't be on your phone out in public. I mean, that, that simple thing has made it so easy for the abduction of kids and the abduction of, of adults. Um, a lot of these sex traffickers will hang out in department stores, Target, Walmart, and mom and dad are just aimlessly walking around the aisles, responding to text oh messages. Oh my gosh. They'll grab that kid, take them into the bathroom, change out their clothes, and then escort them out the front. 
And so Ooh, it's I just got shivers. <laughs> yeah, and, and like there we've I've seen video wow. footage from some of you know like Operation Underground Railroad where that happens, right? And you see the kid just playing in the toy section and mom's, you know, they're like scrolling through Instagram and grab the kid into the bathroom, change clothes and out the front door. And it happens so fast that there's just, there's almost nothing you can do about it. So, you know, there's a time and a place for the phone and I'm on this crusade to kind of, you know, make sure that we minimize phone use, but that is a big one. If you're out in public, turn the thing off, put it in your purse, don't answer it, you know, be hyper vigilant around your kids and Pay teach attention. them the same thing. That yes. is essential, right? Our kids need to not be so zoned out on screens that they're they're completely unaware of what's going on around them. Absolutely. It's so addictive too. So it makes it, it that's a drug in of itself, right? Oh, totally. did, social you guys, media. did you guys see the social dilemma? Yes. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. That doesn't make you want to throw your phone in the pool. I don't know what does. <laughs> Except we still have them. <laughs> We're still using them. So here, this is what, and Mary, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? This is why it's a drug. How many people said, oh my God, I watched The Social Dilemma. I was so tempted to delete my social media accounts. And then you asked, but did you? They're like, no. no. <laughs> like, of course not, because I'm addicted. <laughs> right oh so crazy you know i i'm just thinking here when you're talking about not having secrets that would be a great segue for your volume two your second kids book so uh, the second just book saying. is in the works right now and and we're oh. um where the second book is is all the chronicles of mia and what we're doing is we're implementing some you know some basically educational tools within the book to do just that is to teach kids how to be more aware um love it and, I think that, you know, it is, it's up to us as parents, but because a lot of these kids, you know, especially the ones that end up in sex trafficking rings, you know, maybe parents were killed, maybe, you know, especially in foreign countries where you might have, you know, ethnic cleansing or something like that. Um, so it's, it's up to us basically to start teaching the skills now and make sure that our kids are hyper vigilant, they're hyper aware without scaring them. And I think that's really the balance, right? Like yes. we want to make sure that they have the the tools without making sure that those tools are predicated on the idea that the boogeyman's out to get them. Yeah, that's a really good point because I have a very socially connected child. I don't want to scare him, but I want to make him aware and still keep that loving connection without just walking away with somebody, you know, and mm -hmm. that's uh, targeting um, and not that he, anyone's targeting him, obviously, but just having that vigilance so important. So, you know, I remember, I wish I had found the source for you, but maybe you've seen it too. I've seen like, you know, years ago where this man is trying to make a point how we think we know as parents what our child would do. And what he mm. did was he went around different playgrounds, spoke to the parent that was with the child and said, do you think your child would come to a total stranger and walk away with them? And every it's single one of them said no. Right? It was yes. actually a dog one. It was a dog oh. one. So it's like okay. a puppy dog. Yeah. yeah. So you know where I'm going to, right? Uh -huh. And all the parents are like, no way, uh -uh, not my child. And every single one of them went with the stranger with the, with dog. the dog. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, that's so scary. And that's scary. And like, how do, how do we balance this, this thing where we want our kids to be social and, and granted, you know, they're, they're all, you can be an introvert and you can be an extrovert and, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those. Every person has a place. And we, and we know this from personality testing, but how do we, how do we educate our kids that it is absolutely okay to say no, you know, and, and that's not, you know, it, that's not for me. Uh, my family has rules against that, you know, whatever the case may be while still cultivating this 
childlike curiosity for, you know, mm. understanding people and experiences. And so it's, it's, this is where my crusade comes in, right? Because ultimately we need to educate our kids that this, pro- this problem exists and how to, do, you know, how to help them make sure that they don't fall victim to this. But our job is to just end the problem. Like teaching our kids these skills, it's the bandaid for the broken leg. We need right. to end the problem so that there's never a concern that that guy's going to come up to him in the park with the puppy dog or the bag full of candy and lure them into the white panel van. And, you know, then our lives are over. So that's the crusade, right? And and maybe I, I'm thinking that this is some utopian, you know, a fictitious future that we all live in, but I think that we can do this. And I think that we make it so impossible for anybody to even think about getting into this line of work. And I, I, I cringe even saying that, but they look at it as a business. So, you know, it's a war of attrition and we have to end it. And that's how we make our kids safe, right? We make it so that, and, and here's the ethical debate, right? This is, this is, this is the one I've had way too many times is what do you do with people like that? Like, well, so that's interesting that you that say is this, a good right? question. Because of course I'm thinking, well, why is that person doing this in the first place? Can we, can this person be reformed? Like, are they saying, because you're saying they're doing it as a profit, as a business. So are they of sound mind that perhaps if we got to them before they decided to do this, could they learn a new behavior? Like, you know what, this is actually not okay. Is that possible? No. No. I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't either. And and I've had this belief. It's like, do you, do you just line people like that up, you know, in a firing squad and just, you know, rid the world? And it's it's hard. This is a really, really tough, you know, conversation. But when you start to commoditize children into a sexual slavery, you know, capacity, where where are you at on like the humanity spectrum? And, and I, I, I have to believe that you're, you're not even part of the human race anymore. That's a tough thing to say, right? Because as a father, you know, there's the ego, there's the machismo thing. You're like, give me five minutes in a room with these bastards. But you're like, is that the path? Is that the right thing to do? And as you kind of remove the ego, you're like, I don't know, but I've, I've vacillated with this time and time again is how do you end this? And, and part of me is like, mm. you know, maybe we find a really crappy island and you just send everybody there and you just let them fend for themselves. I, I don't know, but I, I don't think that there's a place for those people in this society. And I think that the first step towards fixing this problem is removing them permanently. But I don't know if the, it's like, is prison the right thing? I don't know. It, it's a really tough conversation. Yeah, well, I don't think it's, I think it's an open-ended conversation. And here's the thing too. I mean, there's different gradients and because I always go back to, well, what's the psychology behind this person that's doing this? Were they abused themselves growing up? Like, or is there mental health issues? I mean, I come from a family of, you know, dad was bipolar, uncle's schizophrenic. So I understand that there's mental health issues that can lead to this, but it's, it's this whole other level of mental health distortion or imbalance that I don't think that that can be cured. I mean, you can work on reform, but in, on an isolated island, like you said. <laughs> like no, isolated like island. Never getting off. Correct. <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, it's, it's, you take a step back and you look at historically how things like this have unfolded. And I think of like Nazi Germany, right? Like where you clearly have adults that are doing horrible things to the Jewish community and like, at what point does your brain say this is wrong? You know, I, I, there's nothing more destructive fundamentally to the fabric that, or the energetic fabric that binds us than than some of these atrocities. So, at what point does that 
does you know your brain or your conscience or your ethos say i shouldn't be doing this but yet it becomes pattern behavior so how do we break the pattern but at a certain point if the pattern has gone on long enough can you undo that and i i just don't think you can because if you start to look at people as cattle are you always going to look at people as cattle Hard to know. I, I, you know, thankfully, in a way, it's like we, we won't know because we're not those people. <laughs> we don't know. Um, no. Wow. We've, we've gone into some really heavy, heavy <laughs> cats here. And we totally did not intend to do this. Um, I'll, I'll need to, like, unwind after. Is <laughs> <laughs> it too early to start Woo! drinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this might be bourbon in my coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And because, you know, knowing who you are and, and like, I just listened to uh, one of your podcasts this week, Ashley, and I thought, oh my gosh, so funny. You know, you're talking about pigs and sweaty pigs and like, okay, how does a sweaty pig look like? And how do we sweat like pigs? You know, those, you know and then from that to now we're talking about this. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and, and look, I'm, I'm a, as you pointed out, I'm a perpetual smart ass. You know, life is, is this amazing opportunity for experience and laughter and gratitude and joy. And, you know, but how do we, how do we fully experience those things if we're not willing to tackle some of the dark issues? Right. So I think that we've done a good job. Uh, The call to action is buy my book. Um, a hundred percent of the profits go directly towards Operation Underground Railroad, and our goal, of course, is to eradicate sex trafficking. Our goal is to shine a monster light on this problem. And whether you know, again, whether you buy the book or not, uh, which I hope you do, because uh, if not, that means that I have to write a really big check. You know, go support, go support this. Well, you've got two right here. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Um, You know, but, but support the charity, right? Like recognize that this is one of the fundamental issues that we face as a species. And and I'm huge on climate change, right? We've got to fix that. I'm huge on so many other major topics, but this is that one, right? This is, this is that one issue that there is a domino effect to this one. And this is kind of like foundational stuff. If Maslow's hierarchy of basic human needs started to look at the fundamental problems we face as a species, this is the foundation piece. You know, climate change is up here. Sex trafficking is down here. Let's tackle this. And then we can move on to some of the other things that uh, you know are going to determine whether or not we survive as a species as well. So here's a question for you, because you talked about um, being full disclosure with your child. So with you, what have you told your child? Like, are you telling her about what you're doing and why? Uh, I have told her that there are a lot of kids around the world that need some help and that it is our job here to do our best to help these kids. I couldn't in good conscience explain to a six and a half year old about sex trafficking um, so it's, it's a more high level. It's that it is our responsibility to help these kids. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the rehab that goes into this and we'll send them to, to rehabilitation centers where it's, you know, it's, it's all of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Now they're in a place where they're getting, you know, good food, uh, clothing, shelter, but they're also getting the daily therapy, the community, the, you know, all of the things necessary to really change the trajectory of their lives. And that's an easy conversation to have with a six-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old is is that, you know, we're helping these kids that aren't as lucky as we are here to go to these places Mm -hmm. where they they get to have a family and they get to have food and clean water and they get to play. So that's the conversation that we've had. And, and, you know, she loves the book. Uh, She, you know, we don't have school anymore. We have Zoom. Um, But she loves to, uh, you know, almost every day on Zoom, you know, wave the book around for, for her classmate she's like my daddy wrote a book about me so it's it's sweet but um yeah 
That's that's how we have that's how we talk about it here. So buy Mia and the go away monster spray for Christmas or whatever celebration is upcoming and share this podcast, like subscribe. Thank you so much for watching. And before we go, we always ask all of our podcaster uh, interviewers or interviewees this question. So, so what do you, yeah. What do you do to fill your cup in a day, every day? Once in a while. So many. <laughs> Choose one. I'm assuming we're not just talking about coffee. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I just dropped a podcast on this, this topic. And I used to think that productivity was the thing that filled my cup. Checking as many boxes off in a day as possible. So I, did, I think I did decades like that where you just, you wake up and you hustle and you grind. I'm like, and then you go to bed at the end of the day knowing that I didn't get it all done, but tomorrow's a new day and I'm going to, I'm going to start over and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to crush it again. And, and I feel like that's that model that leads to, it leads to premature death. And when I say that, I say that in the context of (laughs) traditional life expectancy. Now, I think you guys in Canada have actually a little bit better life expectancy than here in the U S but as an industrialized nation, you know, we're looking at kind of 70s, 80s is the average life expectancy. And I'm a, I fundamentally believe that we can hit 150. We can hit 200. But it's this type of energetic death that causes us to start to age. And if we've read David Sinclair's book, we know that aging ultimately is a disease. So I, I look at this idea that we wake up in the morning and we have this routine. And the routine is just get as much stuff done as possible. And... I think that, you know, what it took me, it took me realizing that that is not the way to live to really understand how I operate my life and how I fill my cup. So my morning is all mine. I wake up, I make my cup of coffee, French press, and, you know, it, it brews for eight to 10 minutes. And while I'm doing that, I get on the power plate. Uh, so eight to 10 minutes on the power plate, lymphatic drainage, um, get my coffee, get my water, get my meditation, and then I go into my sauna. And I'm there for 35 minutes. You know, I meditate in the sauna. Um, from there, I hop in the cold pool. You know, totally shock the system, which is absolutely better than a strong cup of coffee, but I still have my coffee. Um, and then from there, my dietary supplements, and then I'm on my PEMF mat. And then from there, you know, that's kind of like my physical element of the day. Then I'll read and I'll journal. You know, I've got my intentions. I've got my gratitude, the things that I really focus on. Why is it that I do what it is that I do? And I think, you know, with a journalistic, journalistic background, it's always the who, what, where, when, why, how of storytelling. But the most important thing is the why. Why do we get up and, you know, why do we get out of bed in the morning? What drives us? What, what can we do to energetically connect with the rest of the world and make a difference? And that's really what drives me, right? How do I be the best parent possible? How do I share the best messages possible? How do I educate and inspire people to a life less ordinary? And I think here in the United States, we're starting to see the ramifications of our horrible lifestyle choices. There's a reason the U.S. has the highest percentage of deaths per capita than anywhere else in the world. And that's because we're all a bunch of, you know, potato chip eating, you know, binge watching, you know, Fruit Loops. Um, We have to change that. We have to stop living our lives by watching other people live theirs through a box. We have to start embracing adventure and childlike curiosity and gratitude and, and you know, live a life that we're destined to live, not 
just waste away into nothing. So that's a really long answer. But what fills my cup is the idea that I can, I can build a life for myself that allows me to educate and inspire others to do something more than what they're doing. Powerful. Thank you so much, Evan. Super appreciate having you. Thank you for joining us. Click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself, how are you going to embrace you first today? For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.